Welcome to Gonzo Film Reviews, everyone. It's good to be back. Um, we have some exciting news for you today. I'm going to kick off with that first real quick. Um, today, literally just a few minutes ago as of this recording, probably a couple days ago as of the release of this episode, but it doesn't matter, HBO dropped the first trailer for their Last of Us series. Looks fairly interesting. Um, I didn't play the games. I'm probably one of... 15 people in the U.S. who didn't, but it just as a show, it looks intriguing. The designs, they look very similar to things I've seen from the games, and watching gameplay footage of it, seeing other people play, it looks very interesting. It looks like they're trying to keep very close to the design of the games. Uh, obviously, it's yet to be seen what kind of creative liberties they'll take with the story or how to adapt it. It's always difficult to adapt video games for shows or films, especially films, I would say. Shows give it a better chance to let the very long story have its full day. Let it all bleed, so to speak. The films trying to adapt um, video games usually fall flat because they only have a couple hours to tell a story that was told in you know, 9, 12, 15, sometimes 50 hours of cutscenes and gameplay footage. So it is interesting. It's something to watch out for. It's coming out in 2023. So any fans of The Last of Us, I will be reviewing that next year for you. It looks very, fairly interesting. And um, I would encourage everyone to go check out the new trailer if you haven't already. It just dropped as of... Monday, September 26th in the afternoon, so by the time this episode comes out, most people probably would have already seen it, but if you hadn't, um, and you're listening now, I mean, go check it out, It's uh, it looks pretty cool, and I'm interested to see what players of the game think, because I didn't play it, uh, so I would be very interested to see if there's a big difference, or if it seems really faithful, as of the first trailer, I mean, who knows. And I think it's very interesting news for HBO as well because obviously with the Discovery merger, they're losing a lot of content on HBO Max and some of it has been inexplicable. They don't have a good reason for why they cut it or they're just cutting good things that they don't believe in because they want a tax write-off. And a lot of creators are incredibly angry and upset and frustrated. And they're in a bit of a a rut right now so their only bright spot I would say besides some of their DC content the DC content is also a a black spot but we'll get to that one of their only bright spots is um, the fact that they get to keep making Game of Thrones they have House of the Dragon coming out I think five episodes have come out so far yeah five or six episodes um i've seen them all i'm caught up to the show once the whole thing is done i'm gonna do a review of it there wasn't really a special premiere bonus for game of thrones as far as i'm aware the reason i covered the lord of the rings first two episodes was because there was a big um extra release on its premiere they dropped two episodes instead of one so there's about two hours of content, plus episodes three and four by the time that I reviewed it. So 
but I'm not going to do that with Game of Thrones. I'm going to wait till the entire season is out before I lend a verdict on it, because this is also a review coming from someone who hasn't finished the main series of Game of Thrones and who hasn't read any of the books. Um, so I would say that there's a fairly good reason for me to hold back until I've seen the entirety of this prequel series before I go ahead and drop a review on that. I'm way more well-versed in Lord of the Rings. I know what I'm talking about more there, so it made more sense to drop that review as um, of the actual premiere as soon as I did. But not to worry, you will also be having the Game of Thrones House of the Dragon review as soon as the last episode drops in a few more weeks. And in other news, the box office is still slumping. We had a re-release of Avatar ahead of the December release of the sequel, and it did pretty well. Worldwide, it made half a million dollars more than Don't Worry Darling, which is a travesty. I haven't seen it, but the onset issues and the red carpet issues presented just a completely uninteresting and unpalatable offering, I guess, is the way to say that. It just it didn't look enticing at all. It doesn't look interesting. I'm not a fan, a huge fan of Olivia Wilde. Um, definitely not a fan of Harry Styles, so it just wasn't really a big go for me. But I did see The Woman King. And I really liked it. The action was great. Um, obviously, there was a lot of controversy with their historical inaccuracies, but I mean, how many films are going to be 100% accurate? They do need to entertain, and they can't do that if they're just cracking open a history book and reading from it and then closing the book. I mean, that's something that anyone can just do in their home or at a library. And. It doesn't make for a good two hours of entertainment. And cinema is a visual medium. And sometimes you need to give people something interesting to look at. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I didn't follow the controversy very closely, but just as a film, it was very good. The protagonist had excellent reasons for doing what she did. She had good motivations. Um, there were some really great twists as far as um, some of the family members went and lineage, succession, and I found it interesting. And something that most people probably haven't seen, or wasn't on their radar, was uh, See How They Run, which was actually, it was attracting the older crowd, but I don't understand why. It was very clever and funny and witty and a little bit fast-paced and I don't understand what the huge appeal would be for an older crowd I mean Agatha Christie was technically in it someone played her but it wasn't marketed as an Agatha Christie movie I don't know but it, I found it to be a very witty and funny and charming film that bucked a lot of 
than really boring trends with police procedurals. So it was a funny detective um, caper, and I enjoyed it. Coming up soon, October 7th, is going to be Amsterdam. I know that's a big one on my list. In the 1930s, three friends witness a murder, are framed for it, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. The cast includes Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, and among others. That one's definitely on the review radar. And coming up in December, as I said, you're going to be getting the Avatar sequel. Don't know how to feel about that one. I watched three quarters of the first Avatar during COVID lockdown. For the first time, I didn't see it in theaters or anything and hadn't seen it before 2020. And I couldn't finish it. It was very boring. So my hope for any kind of sequel, James Cameron has four or five of these films in total. He has four sequels planned, including the one that's coming out. My hope would be that they're visually interesting enough or technologically groundbreaking enough to make an interesting couple hours in at IMAX theater, but as far as story goes, I really don't know what he's offering or bringing to the table, because if it's going to be similar to the first one, I might fall asleep. It was a very boring story. I can't name any of the characters that were in it, and the motivations for the protagonist guy made almost no sense at all. And a lot of the technology that he used to achieve certain things, I mean, spoilers probably aren't a big deal at this point. It came out in 2009, but the technology he used to become a member of the tribe of, I don't know the name of the, of, it's not a very memorable story. Um, the blue people. find their name. Avatar. Navi? If I'm even pronouncing that right, I guess. The technology he used to become part of the Navi tribe made zero sense. And it wasn't explained very well and I was asleep by the time they probably did explain it anyway so Avatar is not really high on my list of things to see Amsterdam is definitely the number one film for the rest of the year that I'm most excited for I'm not much of a Marvel person so I'm not gonna 
go out of my way to watch uh, any of the other Marvel movies they have coming out this year, next year. I stopped watching those in 2014, so those are off the radar. But I know a lot of people are going to be interested to see those, so go ahead and go enjoy them. I'll be keeping my ear to the ground for other releases that interest me more or things that are less known to hopefully steer people towards finding films that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten to. That's part of what this channel's all about, so see how that goes. I'll let you know. One of the biggest reasons I wanted to do this episode, though, was um, I have a project coming up in which I am going to review Interstellar, but it's going to be an in-depth examination of it in comparison with 2001 A Space Odyssey for um, college assignment, but I've been waiting for a long time to review Interstellar and it feels like the right time there's not much else going on right now in terms of films and not much coming out we have a bit of a lull I'm going to be reviewing Moon Age Daydream a couple others soon but Interstellar. This incredible work of cinema all began with just a simple hook and a piano theme. Years ago when Christopher Nolan was searching for the next film he was about to tackle, the next big theme, ambitious work, whatever you want to call it, he usually does aim high. He came across the idea for Interstellar, but he wasn't sure if he wanted to do it or not, so he was debating whether this is what he wanted to spend the next couple of years of his life working on right after coming off the Batman trilogy. He gave Hans Zimmer one simple hook. Give me a tune based on the relationship between a father and a son. So musically, what does that relationship sound like to you? And on the piano, Hans put down this day, uh, S-T-A-Y, theme from Interstellar in its simplest piano form. He showed it to Nolan, played it for him, and right then, then and there, that's when Nolan says that he made the decision to go forward with production on Interstellar. And that's an origin story that circulated online, and you can find it in the special features of film you'll see videos of the production and in Hans Zimmer's masterclass he talked about Interstellar and how it evolved and a big part of it was that theme being played at that time which is really interesting and it's very cool that something that magnificent and big and successful could have spun off of such a simple small theme and such a simple decision at the right time and throughout the film 
the pre-production process, the music evolved in tremendous ways. Zimmer moved on from piano to pipe organ, and the main themes and motifs everyone is familiar with from Interstellar's soundtrack were born in that process. Nolan also reached out among the stars and began casting the film, and it became as stacked as any Nolan film usually is, as it tends to attract the best of the best. And the relationship at the core of the film changed from father-son to father-daughter, which is not an enormous dynamic change, but it is a significant one. And I would say the visual effects blew everyone away, especially the IMAX sequences throughout the film. Those were incredible and innovative and groundbreaking. And don't quote me on this, but I would assume that Interstellar was probably the first major Hollywood film to include as much of it composed of IMAX sequences, but I'm not sure if that's 100% accurate, but it's something that I would double check, but I feel like it definitely includes more than most, besides obviously the documentary and educational films that IMAX makes fully in IMAX, um, perhaps Avatar maybe included more, but it's a close race. And the story of the film was top notch. I would say it's among Nolan's best productions. The mixture of relatable human fear of the unknown blended with the sci-fi extremism and strangeness and the mysteries and wonder just leveled him up from his previous works. Until this film, most of Nolan's filmography had been relatively grounded and rarely strayed far from that home base. Memento was probably an inception, would probably be some of his lesser grounded works from his career before this point, but Memento is also seen as one of his worst films, which is still not terrible. It's hard to find anyone who says that no one has made a thoroughly bad film, but Memento tends to be his least praised, his least liked, for several different reasons, mostly because it seemed to confuse people, but still nothing had quite broken the ceiling of what is possible in a Nolan film as far as what reality is <laughs> and where the characters and the film itself could go until Interstellar. By traveling to other galaxies, into black holes, through wormholes, and even into a tesseract, Nolan leapt out of his comfort zone much like the characters in the film leapt from Earth to these new worlds in search of one that wasn't dying as fast as Earth was in Interstellar. And I would say that most of what Nolan had done up to this point 
was fairly earthbound, but still uh, magnificent in each in its own way. At some point, I'll be doing a review of The Prestige. I'll probably review his Dark Knight trilogy. I don't know how urgent that second option is, but it's an option down the road. But I would definitely say that his three best works that I've um, that I've seen would be Interstellar, The Prestige, and Inception. And both Inception and Interstellar are probably the most out there of his films and the most mind-bending and groundbreaking that he's done, both in terms of story but also visual effects and merging the two to create an insane and amazing creation. And in Interstellar, one of the most interesting debates that I found uh, to be going on, one of the biggest conflicts, was when Matthew McConaughey's character, wow, that's a butchering, Matthew McConaughey's character awoke Matt Damon's character from a cryosleep. Uh, Damon's character had been down for a very long time due to his own mission failure. So in order to save his own life, he went into cryosleep, froze himself, and just kind of slept there with the prayer that someone would eventually come rescue him and his prayers were answered but the failure of his mission caused a complete sense of apathy doom and despair from Damon's character whereas McConaughey was still fresh on his mission this was his first stop this is the first planet that he found as a, a possible substitute for their dying earth and he still had his children um, and the entire human race that was still alive on earth depending on him which set up a very cool existentialism versus nihilism debate uh, with Damon's character actively attempting to sabotage the mission because he had had the same mission before um, but he no longer believed it was ever concocted in good faith and he didn't believe it had any chance of success. So you had a very big conflict there and kind of an all is lost moment a lot sooner in the film than it usually takes place because it's a super um, dark turn and it's a doom kind of moment where the, uh, it could be a false one though. Uh, I would. I would probably actually think that that was around roughly the midpoint of the film and it was something of a false defeat because in, in any film structure a well-structured film um, or if you just follow Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey the midpoint of every story especially film you usually have um, the hero hit a high point or a low point but they aren't the final destination it's a false victory or a false doom so this one I would say would be the false doom category the characters in Interstellar 
on the new mission with McConaughey's character. Um, I really should look up character names, shouldn't I? <laughs> but it's quicker, I think, for everyone to remember uh, the actors in this case. That's probably one thing that I could criticize about Interstellar is that their character names were far less recognizable or interesting to, to remember than the actors' names. But anyway, the, um, the big conflict going on there was the mission seemed like it had been created by Michael Caine's character as some sort of diversion or as if there had been no plan A and he sent people out to do plan A um, under false pretenses because his only plan actually was plan B and plan A being evacuating everyone on earth plan B being let everyone on earth die because there's no saving them but set up the possibility for a colony so that's what Damon seemed to think was that that is the mission there is no evacuating earth they're all doomed to die and any attempts to save them are futile stupid and a waste of energy and resources that should be spent um, should be allocated to plan B which is setting up a colony on a new planet and just essentially rebooting the human race so it took a very interesting and dark turn there and it really fueled the entire second half of the film into more and more sci-fi outlandish but incredible heights as McConaughey kind of resolved that connection hundreds of millions of light years away was still strong between him and his daughter he resolved that he would never abandon her no matter what so no matter what Damon's character did to sabotage the mission McConaughey was going to fix it um, and it led to his interaction with the Tesseract and eventually discovering that he could send calculations and messages back through time itself and I just think it was a incredibly interesting turn because there have been several other space films before Armageddon being more of a routine action adventure for Michael Bay but still it was a lot more grounded than what Interstellar ended up being because Interstellar took all the expectations that I had even after the first half of the film and turned them on their head and I ended up sitting there understanding what was going on relatively but still just kind of in shock and awe and not quite fully grasping it uh, this film is best after probably two or three viewings but they're worth it it's incredible 
And honestly, all in all, I would posit that Interstellar itself is Nolan's greatest achievement in cinema and storytelling. He nailed the visual effects, the story was incredible, and it kept changing and kept driving forward and keeping things interesting and throwing curveballs. And um, he got the setting and the genre down to a T. He showed things that people would expect um, and gorgeous effects that people have been yearning for in space films, but he also diverted expectations in a good way, not in a Ryan Johnson way, which was very refreshing and, well, it was ahead of its time. And Hans Zimmer provided one of the most awe-inspiring musical accompaniments that he's ever produced, in my opinion. His greatest work has been Pirates of the Caribbean, Batman, um, and Interstellar, and then everything else in a very close second. Hans is incredible. That's what I think about Interstellar. Um, all the news and roundups for this episode, there have been little tidbits here and there. Um, a lot of it is frankly not worth mentioning, but in the in the future, the near future, there's going to be a full review of the entire first season of The Rings of Power, and there's also going to be an entire season review of The House of the Dragon once both of those series conclude, which as of the publishing of this episode um, will be soon. So keep a lookout for those. Um, if you want more reviews of past films, go ahead and hit me up uh, in any of the comment sections where this will be posted. And for the love of God, everyone avoid the Chris Pratt Mario movie. Just, just, just don't. This has been another episode of Gonzo Film Reviews. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and subscribe, follow this channel, leave a good review if you want, and um, check us out on Patreon at Gonzo Film Reviews, and I'll be on Twitter at Reviews Gonzo, and I usually respond to any inquiries on there, but until then, until the next review, everyone, stay safe especially if you are in Florida. And if you are in the war zone further east, just please, everyone, stay safe and have as peaceful a life as you can.